It's Christmas! Well, tonight, thank God it's there instead of you. Oh, Christmas Day, my ass. I'm driving home for Christmas. Oh, I can't wait to see those faces. Christmas to you and all. Hello again, and it hasn't been that long because this is my second November episode. Because I'm in full-on Christmas mode now, as December is literally around the corner, like right there, peeping its head out, basically barging into us out of November. And I'm there too, eating mince pies, wearing Christmas socks, listening to a lot of Christmas music, and of course preparing for this festive podcast. On this episode I'm going to share and chat about the result of the first rounds of my Ghost of Christmas Present World Cup, where some of you lot have been voting for the very best depiction of the friendliest spirit on screen. I'll also discuss the soundtrack to a classic British rom-com, a kind of cult classic TV movie special called Christmas Lights, and the importance of church and religion at Christmas in the UK during World War II. I'm going to start by heading back to the wonderful book Christmas at Wartime by Caroline Taggart. We've explored all sorts of things linked to festive celebration during a difficult period in British and world history, such as gifts, entertainment and family life. But we're going to focus on something quite important for a celebration that has a pretty big focus at this time of year on a little baby born in a rather special way, leading to celebrations that focus on religion and Christian ideals and Christian values. This was of course just as important during the bleak and horrible times in history, with World War II bringing pain and misery to millions and millions. So Christianity was a source of solace, comfort and protection for many in those darkest hours. For example, John's father had been a rector before retiring in 1933, and the family moved to Oxford. We'd always been churchgoers, but there were many more people in church on Christmas during the war. The services were rather sad with people praying for their loved ones, and for an end to the awful things that were happening. From 1914 till 1943, there were no bells. We did go carol singing though, wandering through the streets of Oxford with tiny lanterns or torches, covered so that their light was directed onto the ground. We would tap on people's doors if they hadn't already come out when they heard us. A lot of money was collected for charity that way. Stephen remembers bell ringing as something that changed too during the war. We'd been allowed to ring the bells only once, after Monty's victory in November 1942 at El Then the government decided that regular bell ringing could resume on 25th of April, Easter Sunday. But there simply weren't enough of us to do it properly. We rang the bells on Sunday mornings from then on, but there were usually only three of us. Those of the pre-war ringers who were too old or too young to have been called up, and eight bells to deal with. It wasn't great bell ringing, but it was wonderful to be able to make some sort of sound after nearly three years of silence. A girl called Rosie wrote all about her Christmas church visit in her diary. Got down there by eight. The church was in darkness and seemed deserted, but then I heard a little cough on the right front and a little one on the left front, so I thought there must be some other people. So I just waited. Then someone came up the aisle with a torch and said something to a man on the left-hand side, which I took to be that the service was cancelled. Anyway, the man disappeared and the church was deserted. So after sitting there for a little while, I thought I'd better go. But before going, I thought I'd investigate a little glimmer of light down the left-hand side of the altar. So I did. 
and found a tiny little service going on, in what was, I suppose, the choir boys and clergyman's cloakroom. There were pegs, etc. all round, and oddments you usually find there. We had a full service there, about 30 or 40 people, I suppose, and it reminded me very much of Cromwell's time or the Reformation, and the way people had to have services in secret. Roy remembers being packed off to church on Christmas morning. He said, I didn't want to go, but my parents insisted it was the right thing to do, so off I went and the church was packed. It was a big church and I can remember it being freezing cold. I sat there and shivered all through the service. I had no interest in what was going on, but for a lot of people, church was a great solace, a consolation. Joan remembers one occasion when going to church wasn't as happy as it could have been for one person. When my eldest daughter was three, I took her to church on Christmas Eve. It was light when we went and dark when we came out. Very dark because of the blackout and there were no street lights. It was only a little church, so they must have been able to put out blackout curtains over the windows. Anyway, we passed a man with a horse and cart delivering fruit and veg. The horse had bells on, to warn you it was coming, I suppose, because you couldn't see it until you were close to it. And my daughter heard the bells and thought it was one of Father Christmas's reindeer. She burst into tears and wept. Santa Claus has been on I wasn't in bed. She thought he'd missed her. I'd never known her to be as willing to go to bed as she was that night. And finally, Sue took part in a church tableau service that she also didn't enjoy. My grandmother was very involved in the church and ran the Sunday school. Every year they had a special service with a tableau based around a Christmas crib. And one year, I expect I was three, I was asked. No, not asked. I was instructed to stand by the crib, which was set up between a choir stall on the steps by the communion rail. The crib had the baby Jesus in it, a doll of course, and there were adults playing Mary and Joseph and various others who were shepherds and sheep and so on. There were so few children in the village that there were a lot of adults being angels, but I was a little angel. I wore a sheet, or it might have been a pillowcase, as a dress and had a star on my forehead attached with an elastic band, but it was very rubbery tight elastic. The primary school teacher was a doughty lady called Agnes Ray. She put my star on for me and it hurt. She told me to be quiet. It was perfectly alright, she said, not hurting at all but I can still remember how uncomfortable it was. My mum had said to her, she's a terrible fidget, which actually I still am, and didn't think I'd be able to stand still for any length of time. Miss Ray said, oh, she'll be all right, and mum told me later that I was very good. I stood there, this little thing that I was, by the crib with my hands together as if I were praying, but apparently I got an itch on my nose. Mum said she watched me, surreptitiously and quite regularly through the service, sneaking my hand up to scratch my nose, then bringing it back to prayer position. It must have been funny to watch, but I remember this not at all. I just remember the star and how much it hurt. Were you the kid who would sit as close to the TV as possible on Friday night to enjoy the likes of Steve Urkel, Corey Matthews, and DJ Tanner? Do you love Halloween, Thanksgiving, and Christmas? Then I've got the podcast for you. I'm Matt, and I am the host of the TGI Podcast, where we take a trip down memory lane with classic TGIF and TGIF-adjacent shows from the 90s and beyond, and we like to determine whether or not their Halloween, Thanksgiving, or Christmas episodes should be deemed a holiday classic. If they pass the test, they get a... You got it, dude! And if they fail, they're saddled with a... No way, Jose! So if you like all the holidays and some other random dates in between, be sure to give us a listen.
In 2004, ITV made an original TV special called Christmas Lights, starring two great British TV actors. Robson Green was an actor who appeared on TV in shows such as Casualty and Grantchester, as well as being part of a successful singing duo with fellow actor Jerome Flynn. Both had been in Soldier Soldier and recorded a cover of Unchained Melody after doing so in an episode, and the song was a huge hit, hitting the top spot in the charts for seven weeks. They released other covers, getting two more number ones as well. The other actor in Christmas Lights was Mark Benton, who had been in Barbara and Early Doors. In the TV film, Robson Jerome is Colin Armstrong and Benton is Howard Howie Scott. They're brothers-in-law who live next to each other and get into a war over Christmas lights. It was written by Jeff Pope, who also wrote Pierpoint and the films Stan and Ollie and The Lost King. Colin's wife is Jackie, played by Nicola Stevenson, and Howie's wife is Pauline, played by the wonderful Maxine Peake. They're sisters, and their dad, known as Grandad Eric, lives down the road too, played by Keith Clifford. The TV special starts with the family saying hello to each other in the street. Morning, Pauline. Hi, Doc. Morning, Dad. Morning, Jackie. Morning, Grandad. The brother-in-laws drive to work together but already get into a slight tiff with Colin boasting about his new car. <laughs> I don't know how you manage with that windy one you've got on yours. They do that all the time. Especially with a new car. It's a nice car, okay? Really nice used car. Yeah, here we go. I mean, I, I'm presuming they knocked a bit off for one of the doors not matching. What are you talking about? That back door there, it's, it's been replaced, you can tell. They both work with the granddad for a company driving delivery vans, and later that day in a greasy spoon calf, they discuss Colin's plans for Christmas lights and how his plans not to do much this year. Look, I'm thinking of doing the outside of the house. You can get some fantastic stuff nowadays. Work out expensive, all that, you know. No, you can get all cheap up the market. Why don't you come with me, Howard? Have a look. Nah. To be honest, Cole, we're not going to bother much this year. Me and Pauline have talked it over and, um, well, we're going to go away for Christmas this year. Go away where? Lanzarote. You miserable get. That's horrible. Why can you not have Christmas, Howard? The Christmas dinner. Home film? Dinner Quality Street? Yeah, well, that's it. That's why I don't want to get involved. All that greed and spending money. We just want to wake in the sun away from it all. And Colin tells his wife about it, who ironically agrees. What do you reckon Howard and your sister have got planned for Christmas, hmm? A week in Lanzarote. She told me ages ago. Go on inside, you two. Your tea's ready. I cannot understand it. How can anyone want to go away at Christmas? I know. I told her. I said you must be mad. Sitting on a beach when you could be stuck in a kitchen cooking and cleaning. Exactly. And Howie then reveals he may have a promotion coming up. But at the end of the day, they'll bring someone in from another depot straight over our heads. Really? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, come on. 
They're not going to give it to you, are they? Me? They have. What? Guthrie offered it me today. I said I'd take it. He's going to make an announcement in the morning. And Colin doesn't seem too happy about this. Of course, you know what this is all about, don't you? What? what? Jackie, even when we were kids back home, he was always following me around trying to get into my gang. Oh, when I first met you, it was all, can you get us a date with a sister? Ever since we've moved down here, he has been eaten up with jealousy. How would you work that Well, come on. I've got a pretty wife. I've got the kids. I've got the nicer house. Nicer car. You can't stand it. So now he's going to try and lord it over me at work. If he thinks for one minute I'm taking orders off him, he can forget it. Don't be silly and put them away for Christmas. No, I'm too angry. At the local social club later for Eric's retirement party, Howie tries to make amends with Colin at the bar by complimenting him. Hey, I've seen your lights. Yeah, look good, really good. Just a bit of fun. Yeah, well, brighten the place up. You were right. So how's the new job? That's oh, all right. More hours than I thought. We're doing a lot of the paperwork, financial planning. Stuff Eric never got involved with. I saw that coming, that's why I made it very clear to Guthrie when Eric said he was leaving, I wasn't interested. Oh, really? Oh, I stuck in an office all day. Can't be doing that. Freedom of the open road. Fresh air. Water chef. I don't know. Howie later reveals a decorated house full of lights. But Colin doesn't take this well. What the? Ta -da! Wow, it's fantastic. When did you do all this? Don't ask me. The grin suddenly went mad this morning. <laughs> what do you think? Not bad, eh? Very nice. I thought about what you said about getting to the Christmas spirit and that. I suppose they are quite pretty. <laughs> <laughs> you had to do it, didn't you? What? Well, it's not enough just to copy me like you always do. You have to try and humiliate me in front of my kids. Go on into Auntie Pauline's, you two. Yeah, go and get a chocolate for Tria. What are you talking about? Well, come on, everybody. Ooh, look at how it's light. Oh, he's got a better job than me. He earns more money. Colin. Oh, Carl, it's Christmas. What happened to peace on earth and goodwill to all men? Stuff it. Behind closed doors, Howie finds out that the company is looking at downsizing. It's the same all over the region. I've had this meeting four times in the last two weeks. Yeah, but these are mainly family men, Martin. With Christmas coming up. Hard workers, pucker lads. Well, puckerness notwithstanding, I'm afraid two of them have got to go. And back home, Colin has a ceremony for turning on more lights at his house. Ladies and gentlemen, these lights will be on public display from now until the 6th of January. Not yet. Switching on and off automatically between the hours of 7pm and midnight. Come on, hurry up, it's cold. For tonight's ceremony, we are very, very lucky to have procured, at enormous expense, a very lovely lady. Colleen, are you up? All right, plug it in, Jackie. Plug it in. Both plugs, like we're rehearsed. But Howie is more worried about Colin's position at work so comes up with a plan to present to the bosses. Well, it's certainly an ingenious idea, Howard. Fire all the drivers, then re-employ them as owner-drivers. We sell them the vans at a favourable price, then subcontract man and vehicle at an agreed daily rate. We cut down on running costs, improved cash flow. What do you think, Len? 
And the boys will go for it? I'm sure they will, Martin. They'll be their own boss. The harder they work, the more they learn. Ah, and the more they skive and go off sick, the less they learn. But this leads to some conflict with the lads working. I'm sorry, Mr G, but you've got to be having a laugh here, haven't you? All right, Gibbo, tell me exactly what it is you're not happy with. Well, you're sacking us and then trying to get us to buy a lot of second-hand vans off you. Look, Gibbo, OK, you have to buy your van, but when you paid for it, it's yours. Well, it's mine now, isn't it, without paying for it? No, it's the company's. But you're not really buying it. You're, you're actually being paid to buy it. Yeah, and you've got enough guaranteed work here to pay for its upkeep. Yeah, but I'm still paying out. Oh. Smell a rat here, fellas. There's no bloody rat. It's me you're talking to. You're not some suit from head office. Me, Howard. And especially with Colin. Thanks for your help. I didn't say anything. No, exactly. You never said a word. What did you expect me to say? Oh, come on. That lot of pig ignorant. You know this makes sense. What was all that old pals act the other night? Look, what do you want from me, Howard? Do you want me to lie down while you walk all over us? Oh, yeah, that's exactly what I want. I sat up all night thinking of ways to walk all over you, not save your job. Oh, it's my job you've saved now, is it? Oh, I see. Well, think about it, Cole. Buchanan's talking about making people redundant. Now, when it comes to finding the deadwood... Well... After a chat with his wife, Colin is about to apologise but then finds Howie has one-upped him with more Christmas lights on his house. And the next day their wives are upset about the whole thing while Grandad makes sly comments. What has he done to my beautiful house? I mean, it looks like... Mine? Yeah. It's like the Americans and the Russians in the 60s. I mean, we're not even here for Christmas. Why would he want to do something like this? Well, I think it might be Colin's fault. No, 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 he did it all by himself. No, I mean this work thing. I think Colin might have upset him and this is his way of getting back. It'll escalate, you'll see, just like the missiles. Each side vying to outdo the other. And he's with me all the day. What do you mean? He's only announced his change of flight so we can come home early. Why? I was on the phone this morning to this bloke, David, from the Rotary Club, and they've arranged to bring a group of disabled kiddies over to see the lights. The day after Boxing Day. Well, you're not due back till the 28th. Exactly. But apparently they've got the local papers here. Telly, the lot. Skipping forward in time after their holiday, Colin and Pauline arrive home to find Colin has upped his lights again, with more lights and mini rides out front. And their brother-in-laws literally come to blows. Uh, come on, son. Come and have a ride on the big wheel. Uh, he doesn't want a ride on the big wheel, thanks. He does. No, he doesn't. Come on, then. This is the most humiliating night of my life. Oh, mine. We skip forward to the following year and discover Howie and Pauline are struggling to have kids, and Colin is already planning more lights. I want her sniffing around, giving him ideas. You promised me you weren't going to go mad this year. I'm not going mad. People have come to expect something a little bit special from me. And you can bet your life he's got big things planned. Colin is also spending a lot more money to the anger of Jackie. You're third? Yeah, going to Dad's. Mm -hmm. Time you coming back? That's up to you, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It's 10 this morning from the Builders Society. Ah, right. I was going to talk to you about this. You swine. That was for their future. For when they were 18, a nice nest egg, you said. So they could buy a car or go off around the world or something. And you've stolen.
selling it. No, no, hang on. It was just sitting there, and it's not working for them. The interest rate's rubbish. Shut up! Just shut up! Grandad tries to help, but Colin seems to be becoming more unhinged. Listen to yourself. This is exactly what I said. America and Russia all over. What do you mean? The arms race. The build-up to mutual destruction. But your problem is, he's America. Unlimited budget. You, you're Russia. Bankrupting yourself in pursuit of folly. Well, maybe you're right, but what can I do? I've got to show everyone once and for all that this is my thing and I can do it better than anyone else. But you've got no to beat, lad. He's not doing anything this year. Come on, Eric, think about it. What was the most important thing about the arms race? Secrecy. And that's where he's got the advantage over me. You can afford to have it all assembled at a hidden location, then have it trucked in at the last minute when it'll be too late for me to react. That's the game he's playing, I promise you. And he then goes sneaking around, taking some apparent evidence and confronting the others. What was that word you used about me? Paranoid, wasn't it? Unjustified sense of persecution, right? OK, well, I just wanted to show you this, actually. It's a receipt from a company called Lee's Storage facilities, lockups and that. Now, why would Mr Howard Scott, manager of one of the largest depots in the area, want to take out extra storage space from somewhere else? Eh? Unless he's got something that he wants to keep a secret. Now that's the question, eh? What has he got? What has he got that he doesn't want me to know about? Cancer. He's got cancer. Colin visits him and finds out the truth. You know you've gone completely mad with these lights, don't you? I suppose so. Just tell me one thing, though, will you? Why did you book a storage unit at Kayleigh's? Overflow from the depot. It's Christmas. All oh, right. I have been a prat, haven't I? But Howie does reveal one more truth. Cole, the reason I got that extra storage at Kayleigh's, oh. you know that big unit at the back of the depot? That's where I've been keeping all my lights. I knew it! I knew it! I did! <laughs> a successful operation later and Colin brings Howie home for another light switch on, only to reveal a surprise light show on both houses for a slightly bemused Howie. Tell yourself, you'll have to go something to top this next year. Yeah, well, I sort of promised Jackie that this would be the end of it. And the reconciled men make more plans for next year. Fair enough. Although I have got my eye on something I saw in a magazine from America. It's a big spaceship. No way. Spaceship? A spaceship. Smoke and everything. It's even got aliens in it. It's a massive rig, but... Well, you don't have to worry about that. I'll be eight, I hope you won't have. God willing. Of course you will. You and me. Together. And it actually ends with a baby being born as Howie and Pauline finally become parents to add an extra happy Christmassy ending. It's a sweet tale that sometimes feels a bit too rushed or a bit stretched out. It feels like certain parts needed fleshing out and others needed culling. The leads were very likeable though, 
but I would have liked to have seen more conflict about the lights and the Christmas to build it a bit more. It is a little bit better in my opinion than that other film about competing lights, Deck the Halls though, with more serious moments and sweetness mixed in, especially in terms of masculine relationships and competition that we see between the two men. It's worth a watch and there are also spin-off series in Northern Lights and City Lights, but I may have to watch more to see the follow-up festive special too, called Clash of the Santas. Christmas is about traditions. Throughout the holidays, friends and family gather together to share love, laughter, and a bounty of Christmas foods. We all love tracing our family traditions back through the generations to find out where they began. But have you ever wondered about the food found on your holiday tables year after year? Join me, Glenn Warren, as the host of Seasons Eatings and travel the world as we explore the history and origins of your favorite Christmas foods. New episodes are released every month. You can find Seasons Eatings at seasonseatingspodcast.com and wherever you download your favorite podcast. So join me, Glenn Warren, for your next serving of Seasons Eatings. In most episodes, I either look at a British Christmas song, British covers of a Christmas song, or some little-known British Christmas songs. Sometimes I like to take a deep dig dive into a Christmas album, and I thought I'd give that a whirl for this episode. And instead of one artist, I've chosen a film to explore a soundtrack. And even odder, most of the songs aren't even that festive. Towards the end of November, November 20th this year, just past, my wife and I celebrate Love Actually Day, five weeks to Christmas, just like the start of the movie. We watch the film and have a little Christmas celebration to sort of welcome the season with festive food and drink. And it reminded me how much I really like the soundtrack to this movie, however cheesy it may be. I won't be focusing too much on the film plot or acting or whatever, but if you really don't know, Love Actually is a 2003 British festive movie from Richard Curtis, the writer of sitcoms such as Blackadder, Mr Bean and The Vicar of Dibley, as well as writing rom-coms such as Notting Hill, Four Weddings and a Funeral and Bridget Jones's Diary. The film explores a number of different people, mainly from London, who struggle with love, loss and life over the holiday season, with a joyous cavalcade of British talent in the likes of Hugh Grant, Colin Firth, Emma Thompson, Liam Neeson, Martin Freeman, Bill Nighy and the late great Alan Rickman. The soundtrack was released on 17th November 2003 through Universal Records and I still have a CD copy that I used to play a lot at the time. It kicks off with a song that's not even in the bloody movie though. It's a hugely successful girls group, Girls Aloud, taking on Jump, a Pointer Sisters classic from version does play an important part in the movie, as Hugh Grant's Prime Minister dances around Downing Street to the song on the radio. I believe oddly the American version of the soundtrack omits this one, perhaps due to Girls Aloud's British fame not spreading over to those lands. 
in favour of the original, which does actually make more sense as it appears in the film. But this cover was released as a kind of promotional single for the movie, with a video featuring Hugh Grant's dancing in the film, with members of the band sneaking around after him in Downing Street. Apparently Curtis himself suggested or asked the band to cover the song. It wasn't critically well received but it did get to number 2 in the charts. We have another girl group on the album next with Sugar Babes' Too Lost in You, a beautiful song and unusually, after the film was released clips of the movie were added to their music video for subsequent showings. The first festive song comes along on track 5 with the song vital to the film's plot. In the movie, Bill Nye plays Billy Mack a fictional old rock star desperately trying to make a comeback with a kind of novelty holiday single called Christmas is All Around, a cover of Love is All Around by Wet Wet Wet. Christmas is all around me And so the feeling grows It's written in the The song has kind of become one of those played on festive playlists in shops and on radio occasionally, but not to a huge extent. But now when I hear the original, all I can think of is Bill Nye, Christmas and Love Actually. I particularly enjoy the incredible crassness of the moment when we try to squeeze an extra syllable into the fourth line. <laughs> I think you're referring to, uh, if you really love Christmas, come on and let it snow, ouch. A number of other female singers surround this song, such as Dido with Here With Me, Nora Jones with the romantic Turn Me On, Eva Casti with Songbird, and Kelly Clarkson with the underrated pop banger The Trouble With Love Is.
Some bands pop up too, such as Texas with I'll See It Through, and Maroon 5 with Sweetest Goodbye. As far as in eternity, I've stretched arms, open hearts, and if it never ends, then when do we start? I'll never leave you behind, or treat you unkind, I know you understand, oh, oh, oh. and with a tear in my eye, give me the sweetest The next really important song, in my opinion, is one that plays in an important part of the movie. In a scene with Emma Thompson as the wife of Alan Rickman, who's purchased an expensive necklace for an attractive employee who seems to be hinting at an affair at work. Emma Thompson's character Karen finds the necklace accidentally, but then, when unwrapping the only present of the same shape under the tree, finds a Joni Mitchell album, revealing that the necklace was bought for another woman. She goes upstairs for a moment alone, puts on the album, and weeps quietly at the realisation whilst both sides now blares out. A wonderful, beautiful, melancholic song about not knowing what love is. And this version is actually a re-recording of the song, which originally came out in 1968, but was redone in 2000 with this more orchestral style. What clouds guardian my way I've looked at clouds from both sides now up and down, and still somehow, it's cloud illusions I recall, I really don't know clouds. Another festive song comes along soon though, to perk things up, and it's one of my all-time favourites, Otis Redding's soulful take on White Christmas, released in 1968 as a posthumous single for the soul great. Dreaming of a white, white Christmas, you're just like the one that The treetops, treetops, glisten, little bitty. Another Christmas cover appears shortly, with Mariah Carey's modern, all-pervasive, All I Want For Christmas Is You, but this is performed by a young singer and actor from the film, as part of a Christmas showcase performance at a nativity school. Her name's Olivia Olsen, and she sounds brilliant considering she was only about 10 or 11 at the time. She has since gone into animation fame as Marceline the Vampire Queen in Adventure Time and Vanessa in Phineas and Ferb.
According to the DVD commentary, Curtis said her singing was so good they had to ask her to add more breathiness and less perfection in her take on the song, as they thought people wouldn't believe it was really her voice. Another couple of pop songs of note are one of the most perfect pop songs in existence, God Only Knows by the Beach Boys played at the end of the movie, and a cover of the Beatles' All You Need Is Love by Lyndon David Hall, a great soulful singer who appears in the film during the wedding at the start, singing with the congregation. Sadly, he passed away from Hodgkin's lymphoma at a tragically young age of 31 in 2006. Can't be done. No. Nothing you can sing that can't be sung. No. Nothing you can say that you can learn how to play the game. It's easy. No. Nothing you can make that can't be made. No one you can save that can't be saved yeah. no, Nothing you can do But you can learn how to be you Time is easy All you need is love All you need is love All you need is love Love, love is all one final thing of note is the final three tracks which are from the score for the movie by Craig Armstrong, a composer who's been awarded an OBE and scored Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet and also working on Moulin Rouge and The Incredible Hulk. Three of his compositions end the record, with my favourite being the triumphant PM's love theme. Finally, the result of the first round of the World Cup of the Ghost of Christmas Present is in, and the results are as follows. In the first matchup, Jesse L. Martin from the musical Christmas Carol faced off against Michael Gambon from an animated Christmas Carol, and the legendary veteran actor Michael Gambon triumphed. In the second roundup, we had uh, the Western Richard Coman Ebenezer version of the Ghost against Desmond Barrett from the 1999 Christmas Carol, which was the one with Patrick Stewart. And Desmond Barrett won by quite a landslide. I think people preferred the more traditional spirit as opposed to sort of the Western, I think it was a Civil War era ghost in Ebenezer. The third matchup put of Mickey's Christmas Carol, a favorite for lots of people, with uh, Will Ryan as the voice of Willie the Giant as the ghost against another legend, but a different legend of William Shatner in A Carol Christmas from 2003. Not a great movie in my opinion, and I think the winner was um, predicted from the start, of course, the Mickey's Christmas Carol, Willie the Giant. Matchup for another poten potentially unfair matchup with uh, 1951 Scrooge, uh, Francis de Wolfe playing the spirit, against Carol Kane in Scrooge from 1988, the uh, violent spirit attacking Bill Murray, taking that win quite strongly as well. The fifth matchup had a modern... Uh, matchup between uh, Charlotte Riley 
from the BBC Gritty version in 2019 against Jim Carrey, who played many roles in the 2009 Robert Zemeckis animation. And uh, a bit surprising this one, I thought Jim Carrey might win, but I think people maybe were a bit put off by him uh, taking on all those roles and the creepiness of the motion capture because Charlotte Riley won um, with a female depiction of the playing the sister of um, Ebenezer Scrooge in 2019's A Christmas Carol. The fifth matchup, another one that surprised me. We had a Muppets Christmas Carol with uh, Jerry Nelson voicing and Don Austin performing The Ghost of Christmas Present, um, doing a great song in that. Um, but he faced off against, or they faced off against, A Christmas Carol from 1984, another veteran actor, Edward Woodward, who won, not by much, but did win, and knocked out Muppets Christmas Carol in the first round. The penultimate matchup was between uh, another legend of film, an EGOT winner, Whoopi Goldberg, in an animation from 1997, against a musical version, one of my favourites from 1970, Kenneth Moore playing the role. And um, to my joy, Kenneth Moore won, knocked out Whoopi Goldberg, and will be through to the next round. And the final round, the last round of this first group, uh, we had the oldest uh, Christmas Carol version, uh, Oscar Aish in 1935 Scrooge, against another gender flip to Lorena Gale playing the role in Ebby from 1995. And again, I think people went traditional and we saw Scrooge's 1935 go through. So the next rounds will be uh, randomised and they'll be going up on uh, my Twitter in the next few days uh, into the sort of quarterfinals I believe we'll be into now. And just to reiterate, the ones going through are Michael Gambon in Christmas Carol the Movie from 2001, Desmond Barrett in A Christmas Carol from 1999, Will Ryan as Willie the Giant from 1983's Mickey's Christmas Carol, Carol Kane from Scrooged in 1988, Charlotte Riley from A Christmas Carol from 2019, Edward Woodward from 1984's Christmas Carol, Kenneth Moore from the 1970 musical Scrooge, and Oscar Aish in the 1935 black and white Scrooge. So, it's almost actually blooming December and time for more full-on festive fun twice over in that month from me here at Merry Britsmas. Please get in touch to let me know if you've seen Christmas Lights the Special and enjoyed it, and if the sequel, Clash of the Santas, is any good. Whether or not you've heard the Love Actually soundtrack, and maybe which song is your favourite, festive or otherwise. And vote in the World Cup of the Ghost of Christmas Present. I'm also posting Merry Moments of the Day, and I'm going to be starting to post advent pictures on Instagram and Twitter and Reddit on the UK Christmas subreddit. So find me online at Instagram, Facebook and Twitter as long as it's around, or Merry Britsmas. Happy blooming Christmas to you and all.